Hi and welcome to The Crime Pod. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Sam. So this week Sam and I are looking into probably the biggest case we've done to date. Um, this case is so infamous, I don't know anybody that doesn't know their names, even if they're not true crime fans. And even though this case is English and it was it all happened in England, half of this duo were actually from Scotland, which is why we're going to look into this case. So this week we're going to be looking into the case of the Moors murders. So this week's podcast is probably going to be a two-parter. So I think this will be the first part, as this story is so big, um, the research took us loads of time, and I think to get it all out, we need to have two parts, because I don't want to miss anything out. Also, we are a Scottish podcast, so the reason we're doing this story is because we're focusing more on Ian Brady, who is one of the two killers in this. Also, we will be mentioning Myra Hindley. Obviously, we can't miss her out but I won't be talking about her as much as I will be talking about Ian Brady. Um, so if you want more information on Myra Henley, you have two weeks to let us know. And we can, of course, do that. So people have been, like, we're very lucky that we know quite a lot of our listeners and they do get in touch with us. But if you do want to get in touch or you want to kind of know what we're up to, we've created an Instagram, which is just at the crime pod. And that's when we'll kind of post pictures about who we're talking about so you can put a face to the name. And if you do want to get in touch with us with any requests or just to like us or don't like us, whatever. Yeah, it's just there. Yeah, not too much hate. Thanks. Not too much hate, please. Yeah, we're fragile. Right. Shall we get started? Yes, please. OK, so the crimes that I'm going to be talking about took place in Manchester in England in the 1960s so it was actually 63 to 65 um they all happened well they're called the moors murders because they happened in the saddleworth moors which used to be part of yorkshire up and so about after it's about the 70s that actually became part of manchester which is why they say these crimes happened in manchester but at the time it was yorkshire right, and i'm going to start in a kind of funny place on this story i'm going to start basically when they were caught and i'm going to introduce you to who the killers are and what they did and then we're thinking in the next episode Samantha will take over and then tell you what all evidence was against them their court cases and what happened to them after this so on the 7th of October 1965 the police get a call from a man called David Smith at 10 past 6 in the morning saying that he witnessed the murder of Edward Evans now they phone like the police actually which I didn't know they do it's from a phone box they just go and collect David from that phone box which is oh. mental to think about it, right? So they turn up to collect him and he is armed with like a screwdriver. He's in clear distress and they take him to the police station. So they take him to Hyde Police Station where Superintendent Bob Talbot talks to him and kind of asks what's happened. And he says that he has witnessed a murder by Ian Brady and Myra Henley. Now, Ian Brady, so Ian Brady was born in Glasgow on the 2nd of January 1938 and he basically is quite it was quite open like he lived in a slum and he was born to a single mother who was named Peggy Stewart. Now Ian never knew his dad and when asked about his dad his mum said that he died a few months before that Ian was born so Ian never met him at all and his mum worked as a waitress and couldn't afford a babysitter so left Ian alone most of the time and this is when he was just a newborn. 
so eventually she decided to give him up for adoption when he was four months old and visited him frequently until he was 12, but never told him who she was. So just kind of was this person that visited. So he didn't have a close relationship with either of his birth parents. As a child, he was quite lonely and they said he was quite difficult um, to, you know, as a child, you know, one of those children that's just genuinely difficult. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's like everything I've read. It's just like there's nothing like big as a child. It's just loads of things being difficult, blah, blah. But obviously he's been adopted by Mary and John Sloan, who have a couple of children of their own. And I think the mother knew him. I'm not 100% sure. But Brady took on this family name and became known as Ian Sloan and became part of this family. Um, When he started getting older as a child, People have stated that he tortured animals, but he completely said this was not true. He said this was not on. Um, But when he was about nine or ten years old, he went to Loch Lomond with his family and he started just having a total affinity for the outdoors. And then they moved into a new council house in an estate in Pollock. And he went to Shawlands Academy at school for above age pupils. So it's pretty normal, right? Like, he left at 15, he got a job working in a kind of tea cafe like his behavior did worse than like so I don't know what said it got bad but he appeared twice before juvenile court for housebreaking but there's nothing big do you know what I mean like do you know when you hear like child murderers he didn't do that right yeah that's a normal upbringing apart from yeah. the adoption obviously that's yeah of tough, course yeah like... yeah so he had a girlfriend called Evelyn and their relationship ended however when he threatened her with a flick knife after she visited a dance with another boy well, this that took a, a, a quick turn. He then appeared in front, in front of the court again, but this time he had about nine charges against him. Just before his 17th birthday, he was placed on probation on a condition that he lived with his mother. So by then, his mum had actually moved to Manchester and married an Irish man named Patrick Brady. So Patrick got Ian a job down in, in Manchester and off he went. He took Patrick's surname and started a life again there. However, within a year of moving to Manchester, Brady was caught with a sack full of lead seals that he had stolen and was trying to smuggle them out. He was sent to a place called Strangeways for three months. So because he was still under 18, he was sentenced for two years. And then he went to Latchmere House in London. Then he went to Aborstal in Yorkshire. After being discovered, he was constantly drunk and he was just, you know, becoming an absolute nightmare. He then moved to a tougher unit in Hull. And eventually was released on the 14th of November, 1957. And that's when he returned to Manchester, where he took a basic labouring job. He hated it, but he was dismissed for another job in a brewery. So this, after this, where he's, he's constantly losing jobs, he's been in and out of jail, in and out of offenders since he was young, he decides to better himself. And he gets a, like, a set of instruction manuals on bookkeeping from the library and then just basically starts studying. And he decides, like, enough is enough. Like, which... Fair that enough. Sounds good. Sounds yeah. like he's going in the right direction. Yeah, well, exactly. That's the thing, which, yeah, like uh, back then, if you read that, you're kind of like, oh. And then he gets a job in Millwards. Um, Millwards is like a merchandising company. So he worked there as a stock clerk. Sorry. Okay. So in the January of 1961, an 18 year old, Myra Henley, joins Millwards company as a typist. Now, Myra Henley, as I said, to talk too much about her but of course I need to kind of tell you who she was so Myra was born in Crumpsall on the 23rd of July 1942 her dad was an alcoholic and beat her and her mother quite badly and she was from quite a poor family 
from the age of five, Myra lived with her gran. Um, a, an event that stuck out to Myra, which she talks about, and I think that kind of shapes the character I'm going to go on to discuss, is when she was at school, a boy had scratched her face. So she went home crying, so her face was bleeding, etc. And her dad went mental at her and told her to hit him back. So she was taught if somebody hurts you, you hit back. And then she was praised for hitting people. So from a young age, she's praised for violence. Um, and as I said, she just, she was, Myra wasn't, so at school, when she was at primary school, Myra wasn't the best looking thing. Like, she was us, Sam, know what I mean? Um, <laughs> Speak she, for yourself, hon. <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't, you know, she was just your kind of average. However, when Myra became a teenager, she had this like amazing blonde hair and she cared about what she looked like and boys were attracted to her and boys gave her attention and she loved that she lapped it up and she ended up having a boyfriend and they ended up engaged and she broke it off because she didn't like the fact she wasn't free which I kind of think says what character was so she starts in this workplace where Ian works and she becomes infatuated with Brady right even though she knows that he's got a criminal record but the thing is Brady doesn't care about her like he doesn't give her any attention and she doesn't like that she's used to boys absolutely falling over her whereas she's just he's like "Eh, whatever so she begins this diary and even though she has like dates with other guys stuff and you know all of these details are like talking about her fascination with Brady right who she eventually speaks to on the 27th of July so this woman's worked here since January right over the next couple of months there is entries in this diary but she becomes like delusionalized, someone said about him. Like it's it's like I'm not gonna lie, he wasn't that good looking. No, I mean like, there is photos of him. Myra? There's photos of him <laughs> Myra explain. There's photos of him when he's younger and like he's not the worst looking thing for that day and age. I think obviously as well, we have that thing where we know what he done. So like True. you're not gonna look yeah. at him and be like, ooh, because you're like, oh, murderer. <laughs> so they eventually well, Brady eventually asks her on a date on the 22nd of December. Now, <laughs> yeah, a year later, he's like, fine, whatever. And they go to the cinema. Now, I don't know what they went to see. Some people say it was Judgment of Nuremberg, but Myra says it's called Kings of Kings. But anyway, they then begin dating. But when I say dating, they go on dates. And it's a regular pattern of they go to the cinema, they watch an X-rated film, and then they go back to Myra's house and have some wine. So Brady would began giving her, like, books to read. And they would spend their, like, lunch together talking out loud of like about Nazis so they'd like sit and speak about that and Hindley then began to like emulate an ideal of Aryan perfection so she like bleached her hair blonde and started applying like thick crimson lipstick do you know what I mean because she wanted to look like part of the Aryan race so Brady was attracted to her which for me they were they were for the Nazis then it wasn't like they were talking about. I mean, it doesn't. The no, they're not. No, <laughs> being like, oh my, they were like, yes. No, well, yeah, that's the thing. They don't. They loved no, it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like blonde, well, blue like, eyes, every, Like a lot of people change for relationships, but if I was talking to someone and they were like, "Oh, I wish you looked more like the Aryan race," I'd be like, mm? "Red flag." Yeah, blonde hair, fine. Aryan race, not fine. Yeah, mm. flag number one, Ian. Flag number one. So, <laughs> um, so obviously she starts to look like the Aryan perfection right um and then she starts expressing some concerns in her a letter to a friend mentioning a wee incident where she had been drugged by Brady but then also said she was obsessed with him and then a few months later asked her friend to destroy the letter 
okay. Right? right. So that's like me like texting them being like, delete that, ignore that, right? Mm-hmm. So she did then start changing more and more for Brady. So she started changing her appearance, wearing kind of like risky clothes, such as high boots. So she wore like shorter skirts. She started buying clothes that were leather. And they started like kind of excluding themselves from everybody else and just being a couple. They would go into the library on dates now and they'd borrow books from philosophy all the way to like crime, torture. They also read a lot of like German stuff as well. So we're back to the whole Nazi thing. And she wasn't a driver um, at the time. Um, she often hired a van and the couple planned bank oh, robberies. All oh, right, but- okay. She wasn't a driver, but she hired a van. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing, right? So, because I, I, I was confused because I was like, well, all their a lot of their crimes, spoiler, happens in a car. So she did pass her <laughs> test in 1963, but this is prior to this. Ah. So that she passed her test in the November of 63, but she'd hired a van without her license because they planned like bank robberies together. Um, and then she became like she started like using this like flirtation she had to be in it like to become friends with people like president of like a rifle club. And like they'd visit like shooting ranges, and this guy's obviously like, "Why are you here?" Um, as she's like arranged to buy a gun from him. Um, oh. she then joins a pistol club, but she had a terrible shot and was bad temper, so they told her she was unsuitable. So they've got all these like little hobbies that you're kind of like, hmm. And I feel like if they had one of them, hmm, but they have them all. Yes. So obviously it's known that Brady and Hinley had like planned a robbery, but nothing ever came of it. So they became interested in photography instead, right? Oh, that's they, much better. <laughs> yeah, right. Cancelled the robbery plan. Let's let's get into photography, right? So he already owned a camera called like a box brownie. And he used to take photos of like Maida and her dog. Um, but then he went and got like a more sophisticated camera and began buying like new different things for it. And they would take photographs of each other and then they would like, do you know, they got a bit extreme and like they would be a bit like explicit photographs um and like Myra was quite quiet and stuff before Brady but a lot of people have said like this is what really they were like oh okay roughly July 1963 Brady starts talking about how he'd love to commit the perfect murder and spoke about a book called Mayor Le- I think it's called Compulsion by Mayor Levels uh, Mayor Levin sorry um and it's basically that story's fictionalized account of um the Leopold and Leob case which basically two men from quite posh families commit the perfect murder of a 12-year-old boy and escape the death penalty because of their age right so they have this like plan like he has this plan of he'd like to commit the perfect murder um, which, I mean, if someone said to me, I'd love to commit the perfect murder, I'd be like, hmm, out of there. Yes. Whereas this seems like quite a casual thing, do you know? And like, she recalls it, like, because this was an interview way, way after everything had happened. And I think that is really interesting. Um, so in the kind of this, round about this time as well, Brady moves in with Myra Hindley and her grandmother. Well, at our grandmother's house. I don't know if the grandmother lived there, but at our grandmother's house. And they lived in Bannock Street. Um, and they'd only lived in that house not long before the first murder happens. So after saying he wanted to commit this perfect murder, on the 12th of July, 1963, Brady tells Myra that he wants her to 
get a borrowed van after work so she still doesn't have her license and he will fall on his motorcycle when he sees a victim he's going to flash his headlights and their plan will take place now i don't know how much myla's in on this obviously she has hired a van and has gone along with it but i don't know who it's kind of mainly coming from but i'd like to think me you everyone i know would just go no Mm-hmm. But here we are. So she begins yeah. driving down Gorton Lane and Brady begins flashing his lights because he's seen a young girl. But Myra didn't stop as she actually knew her. And it was an eight-year-old that was actually a neighbour of her mother. So she just didn't stop. So I think Brady was a bit annoyed at this. Of course he was. You know, he's gave the instruction and she's blatantly ignored him. But around, around about half past seven at night on Froxmer Street, Brady signals again to stop for a 16-year-old named Pauline Reed, who is a schoolmate of Myra's sister, Maureen. And okay. she's on her way to the dance. So she didn't want to stop for the eight-year-old because she knew her, but this is her sister's friend. And she's 16 years old. So, And she knows Myra. So Myra's offered her a lift and dance. That's like you driving past my sister. Do you know what I mean? Like, my sister knows yeah, you. And my sister... Hope, well, to be honest, Holly would be like, I'm not getting in your car. <laughs> Go away. <laughs> yeah, you'd wave at Holly and she'd ignore you. But yeah. um, that's the thing. That's a huge, huge thing when I'm like, oh was Myra just like swept away by Ian absolutely not because she knows this girl and she still stops and offers her a lift so at various times like Henley's gave different statements like as I'm just talking about saying was it more Henley was it more Brady and like one minute she'd be like oh yeah like was she responsible was I not being responsible but she said that there would be less attention given to the disappearance of a teenager than to a missing eight-year-old which is why yeah. She didn't stop for the eight-year-old, but stepped her. Which, I mean, that is true. A 16-year-old on her way to a dance isn't going to get as much attention as an eight-year-old girl. But, alas, I Still think the best option of the two of them would have been neither. But that's just me. <laughs> yeah. Now, once she's in the van, so Henley's basically like, hey, I have lost one of my gloves in Saddleworth Moor. And Reed's like, oh yeah, I'll help you look for it. And they drive there. I would have been like, I'm on my way to a dance. But alas, they go and look for a missing long glove, right? But so, why would she need a glove in a mirror? Like, come on. I mean, it just, could be cold, but an expensive yeah, go glove. Go get it play, next but also, time. Drop me at the dance and then go the get your moors, glove. The moors. The moors. Uh-huh. Like, how are you going to find that? But anyway, they get there and obviously Brady then arrives in his motorcycle and Hindley's like, oh, he's going to be helping us with the search. And Hindley then says that she waited back in the van while Brady took Reed onto the moor. Now, I would be like, no. <laughs> like, I'm here to look for, for your glove. But, like, yeah. yet again, I'm saying no. But, do you know, once you're in that situation, if you trust this person, you're most likely going to be like, okay. Now, after about half an hour, he returns alone and he takes Henley to the spot where, basically, Reed was lying dying. Um, She had been nearly decapitated and she had two cuts on her throat, including a four-inch incision across her voice box, which was, quoted, inflicted with considerable force. Oh. and the collar of her coat and throat chain had been pushed. So when Henley then says, well, she asked Brady, did he rape her? He replied, of course I did. And then Henley stays with this body, well, this girl, as she's dying, while Brady goes to get a spade that he'd hidden nearby after he'd came to this, like, he came to the moors prior to the murder to, like, set this up. He then went to the van no, sorry, Myra went to the van while Brady buried her body. Um, but then when Brady spoke about this, he says that Henley wasn't just present for the attack, 
but she actually also sexually assaulted her. Oh. So that's the thing, it's very conflicting on, obviously they're both to blame, but a lot of the time it's like, oh no, no, Myra was influenced. But I don't think so. I think no. they were both as evil as each other. So they well, killed this girl. Well, she stopped and knew that the girl... Yeah, she, she knew the girl in the car. So 100%. she's just as much to blame. Yeah. But for, should we explain what the mirrors are for anyone who's not from the UK? Oh, yeah, sorry. I thought I explained that at the start. Oh, because I said it happened in the mirrors. Sorry, yes. Mirrors yeah. are basically just... It's a massive piece of land, isn't it? Yeah, untouched, kind of. Mushy, perfect place to bury a body, perfect place to commit a murder. Well, that's a huge thing. landscape. So, yeah, and it's horrible now. No one's it's there. Kind of, yeah, it's more known for being the burial site of these murders. <laughs> um, but yeah, like Sam will talk about the kind of finding the bodies part, but definitely listening to that bit because that's the bit that I find most horrendous about this case. But yeah, so they've killed this lady in. Well, I say lazy, she was a young girl, do you know? They killed her in the July and then they go on to kill again in the November. So at least by this point, Myra's got her licence. Oh, but good, good. in the, the early evening of the 23rd of November, they're at a market in Ashton under line and basically they see a young boy who's John Colbright and he's 12 years old and he's heading home. And Henley then stops and says, like, do you want a lift? Do you know, it's getting quite late at night, his parents will start to worry and obviously... If someone says that to you, you're like, oh my God, yeah, like, I'm going to get home and I'm going to be an agent. Do you know what I mean? Like, my mum's going to be so angry that you had a curfew and if, like, someone could speed up that curfew and get you home safe, of course you're going to take a lift. She also promised him a bottle of sherry. So he's, like, in that car. Fair play. Does he he know them? No, he doesn't know them. But, you know, it's a woman on her own and Mm -hmm. she has a Ford Angelia, it's like a Ford Ford Angelia car. But no, she's not on her own, actually. I think Brady's in the back. But yeah, if a, if a woman stopped you and was like, hey, it's getting late, your parents must be worried, like, why don't I help you along the road? Mm-hmm. You're going Especially to be like, back right, then. Because okay. when is it? The, the 80s? Um, yeah. No, mm-hmm. 60s. Sorry, the 60s. When was it? The 60s. So this is 63. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, people so anyway, would get in a stranger's car. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it was kind of common. So obviously he's in the car and he's been offered the sherry. So Brady's like, right, well, we don't have any sherry. So we're going to have to go to our house first, get the sherry, then take you home, right? And it's just obviously, what about my curfew, hun? You're supposed yeah, to Yeah, John Kilbride's just like, okay, well, I'm with two adults, and if I'm late, mm-hmm. I can tell my mum I was with two adults. But then on the way to their house, Brady's like, hey, here's another suggestion for a detour. Why don't we actually go and help Myra find her missing glove? So mm-hmm. he's then like, okay. like So they take a 12-year-old boy to help find a glove. And yet again, Brady took Kilbride onto the moors, Henley waited in the car, and Brady sexually assaulted John Kilbride and tried to slit his throat with a six-inch serrated blade. However, it didn't work, so strangled him with a shoelace. Oh, my word. Mm-hmm. So the blade oh, no. didn't kill him, basically, and then mm-hmm. buried him on the moors as well. Now, this is what I find really interesting, is a lot of time goes by, it's roughly six months between crimes, because the next crime happens on the 16th of June. Oh, yeah, it's kind of like that's the only, that and the glove seems to be the only pattern right now. Yeah, yeah. So it seems to be like six months. But 
the early evening of the 16th of June 1964, we're now on, there was another 12-year-old boy, Keith Bennett. Sorry, he was on his way to his grandmother's house. And this is in Longsight in Manchester. But Myra stops him and asks for some help in loading some boxes into her mini pickup. So she has a different car, a different mode of transport every time. But she says, like, can you help me? And then I will drive you to your grand, right? So he's, of course, like, no problem. That's absolutely fine. But Brady is in the back of this van. So she drives to an, a lay-by on Saddleworth Moor. And Brady takes Bennett onto the moors to help look for Myra's lost glove. That's Yet again, love. roughly half an hour later, Brady returns alone. But this time he's carrying a spade that he'd yeah, preset earlier. And then obviously Henley asks him the same questions and he agrees that yes, he sexually assaulted him. And this time he strangled him to death with a piece of string. Because so, he's realised that the knife is something The knife is obviously work. not working. So he's sexually assaulting them all. So something that we don't actually talk about is like, that's paedophilia, do you know? Like, I feel like that's never mentioned enough that he's sexually mm-hmm. assaulting kids. Yeah, and young, young boys. Kids that. Yeah, and like young boys. 16 year old girl. That's, yeah. Do you know, that's quite different. That's... Fast forward six months to December, and Myra and Ian decide to go visit a fairground on the 26th of December and notice a 10 year old girl named Leslie Ann Downey just apparently alone. So they go up and that's to. That's Boxing Day. That's, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, they Ooh. go up to her and they deliberately drop some shopping they were carrying, right? So of course this little plate girl comes over and helps and they ask her to help take the packages to the car and then they will take her home. So of course she's like, that's absolutely fine. However, they do actually take her to the house. So they've never done oh. this before, but they take this victim straight to the house. Now at the house, this poor girl is undressed. She's gagged and forced to pose for photographs before being raped and killed. And they think she was killed by being strangled with a piece of string. Oh, and she, now, wait, so she was strangled at her own house? Yeah, at Myra's house. So they oh, actually Myra's went to house. Myra and Ian's to drop the shopping. Oh. So, Henley claims that she wasn't there. Yet again, she'd actually went to go and run a bath for this girl. And came back down and basically found her dead. Um, but Brady's claims that he didn't kill her. Henley did. Mm-hmm. So this I is the one that, that to be honest, mm-hmm. she's yeah. sneaky. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing. Like Brady takes full responsibility for all of them, apart from her. And mm-hmm. Myra's like, nope, 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 nope. And I'm like, I heard this before. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next morning, both Brady and Hidley they go down to the moors and they bury her there. So they bury her naked in a shallow grave with her clothes at her feet. Ugh. Which, yeah, I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, this time is when there's a long gap between murders, but we go all the way to the 6th of October, 1965. Now, by this point, they must be feeling invincible. Well, Do you know? Yeah. Like, these people, there has been, like, you know, like, I know we've not mentioned it much, but at the time, obviously, there were people looking for these people and they're they were missing and you know and they sat back especially Myra sat back and saw her sister be upset that her friend was missing and all the while like six months happens and it calms down and you know even though they were all in Manchester were different areas of Manchester so Mm -hmm. it wasn't like they were all going from the same street yeah so like but then wanted it to be it was Mm -hmm. the best the smartest crime yeah 
that's the thing they were very very smart and as you said the moors you how would you begin to search those do you know so then we go to next october so they go to manchester central railway station where she waits outside in the car and basically ian goes in to select a victim now a few minutes later he appears with a victim and it's a 17 year old edward evans who is an apprentice engineer and he lives in ardwick um and he introduced Henley as his sister. So they don't say they're a couple, they just say they're brother and sister. And they go to Henley's house, so that's 16 Wardlebrook Avenue in Cheshire, where they just sit, have a bottle of wine, and basically relax, which is just a bit, yeah, like, I'm yeah, like, why they're kind of socialising with this person, which I think is obviously so different, but it's a 17-year-old boy. He could have some fight in him, do you know? Mm-hmm. So and I was think, he going anywhere? Like, what did he I don't just know bump how he's ended up. And... Yeah, I don't really understand. Yeah. Like, I, I've looked, and no one says why he goes back to the house. But yeah. that's why I think they're having wine to get him drunk. Like, that's that goes way back. You're talking Birkin here method. Get them drunk. Do you know, it's easier to kill oh, somebody yeah. who's under the influence. Do you know? So at some point during the night, Brady sends Henley away to get David Smith. Now, David Smith is the husband of Henley's younger sister, Maureen, the girl who was. Um, friends with their first victim right mm-hmm. so they don't approve of David Smith at all the family do not approve as he's had several criminal convictions like actual bodily harm housebreaking and I'm kind of like how can you guys not approve of him look what your daughter is doing do you know like it's so <laughs> yeah. mental how they're all like we disapprove of him because he's done housebreaking but I was like my goodness but this like the first like so like I think one of the bodily harms wounding with intent was when he was 11 but anyway, he's not a great character. Um, so over the last year, though, Brady's been kind of creating this friendship with Smith, who apparently was quite in awe of Brady. Um, but I think, I'm thinking Ian's doing it to hope that he can kind of join the wee team and they can kind of do more murders with another guy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so basically she returns with this David Smith and she tells him to wait outside for her signal which will be a flashing light. So David's like, what? And when the signal came, Smith knocks on the doors and was met by Brady, who asked if he had come for the miniature wine bottles. And David's like, what? And he leaves him in the kitchen, saying that he was going to collect the wine. So Smith then actually spoke to the police. So I've actually got a statement, I saved it, a statement that Smith actually directly told the police. I'm going to read this statement, right? Okay. I waited about a minute or two, then suddenly I heard a hell of a scream. It sounded like a woman, really high-pitched. Then the screams carried on, one after another, really loud. Then I heard Myra shout, Dave, help him, very loud. When I ran in, I just stood inside the living room and I saw a young lad. He was lying with his head and shoulders on the couch and his legs were on the floor. He was facing upwards. Ian was standing over him, facing him, with his legs on either side of the young lad's legs. The lad was still screaming. Ian had a hatchet in his hand. He was holding it above his head and he hit the lad on the left side of the head with the hatchet. I heard the blow. It was a terrible blow. It sounded horrible. This man, David Smith, then watches Brady basically kill this guy with the length of like an electrical cord. And in the struggle, mm-hmm. like Brady actually managed to like sprain his own ankle um, and oh my God. asked David to help him carry this body. But the body was obviously heavy. It's a 17-year-old guy. Uh, so they just wrapped it in plastic sheeting and put it in the spare bedroom. Wait, David or...? Both of them. 
Oh, so now, David helped. Yeah. So the following morning, David had agreed to return with his baby's pram and they'd transport the body into the car before disposing it on the moors. So he went home about 3am and basically woke up his wife and was like, I need a cup of tea, fair play, he's just seen a murder, cup of tea. He then drank the, wine, he drank the tea and then just vomited everywhere and told her what he'd witnessed. So at about 10 past six, after waiting for daylight, he basically arms himself with a screwdriver and a knife, phones the police. So this is when he goes oh. to the police and tells them what he saw, basically. He goes to the station and they then go to Myra and Ian's house. Now, they turn up at the door and ask Myra if her husband's home and she's like, I'm not married. And like, hey, is it a man home? And they go and speak to Ian, who's currently typing a letter to his work saying he's been in an accident and sprained his ankle. Um, which we know happened from the struggle. Um, mm-hmm. They asked to search the house, which Myra says fine. They then get to the spare bedroom, which is locked, and Myra's like, I don't have the keys at my work, to which Ian very calmly is like, just give them it. 